You can turn your Bibles this morning to John chapter 15. We're going to start with verse 26. John 15, verse 26. As we've been talking over the last several weeks, we've been discussing our faith, and we've talked about being able to give a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus. And so we've been talking about different things uh, relating to what we believe and why we believe it. And we've said that God is a God who wants to be known, that God created us for relationship with Him. He wants to make Himself known to us. And over the past months, we've, discovered, we've discussed many different ways that God makes Himself known. If you remember all the way back in like end of October, November, we talked about uh, scripture, the Bible, as God's Word, and how we got the Bible, and, and why we believe that it is the inspired Word of God, why it is authoritative for our lives. Uh, we've looked at a, different, uh, a number of different things over the last few weeks. We've talked about how God makes Himself known in creation, and we uh, saw as we look at all that God has made, it points to Him. We see God uh, revealing Himself in human experience as He has set in us the ideas of right and wrong and good and evil and our desire for justice and how that points us to God. We've talked about God showing up in human history and we've looked at historical evidence for Jesus, his, his death and his resurrection and how there is an empty tomb and we rejoice in the fact that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And so we're continuing in that line of thinking this morning as we talk about yet another way that God makes himself known to us. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the witness of the Holy Spirit, the testimony of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how the Spirit speaks to our hearts and reveals the things of God to us. It's important that as we get into this this, this morning that we understand that God in His Word reveals Himself as what we would say Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is, is not in the Bible, but it is a, a word that we have uh, begun to use to describe the concept of God's three-in-oneness, that there is one God who exists eternally as three persons, one being or one entity, the divine God, and He reveals Himself in three persons, God the Father and God the Son and God, the Holy Spirit. Now, each of these persons there is, is, is truly God, yet, yet there's some distinction there. And so as we begin to think about how God shows himself in Scripture, we often see this outworking of the Trinity. And, and it goes something a little like this. It's uh, God the Father, he, he sends Jesus, who, who comes to save, and Jesus does so in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, all three persons of the Trinity are at work in God's uh, creative act and God's redemptive act. And as we begin to experience God, we often experience God in kind of the reverse order. It's the Holy Spirit who draws us to God, who reveals to us Jesus Christ. He glorifies Jesus Christ. He testifies to Jesus Christ. And, and, and Jesus Christ, he saves us and shows us the glory of the Father, right? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so this, this outworking of the Trinity where God, um, uh, three in one, seeks to redeem us. And so today we're going to spe be specifically talking about 
the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as He reveals the things of God to us. So we're going to read starting with just this simple verse, and then we're going to get into a lot more in just a few moments. But John 15, verse 26, it says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me. So it's important to understand the context here as we do with, with everything that we talk about. And what's going on here is, is Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's gathered his disciples uh, for, for the Last Supper. And uh, a, a few chapters earlier, he's, he's washed their feet and he's uh, basically talking about the sacrifice that, that he is going to make for them. And he tells them that they are to, to remain in him. And as he departs from the world, as he ascends uh, to the Father after his death, he says he's going to send an advocate. Or sometimes in some translations it says that he will send a comforter, another comforter. Um, and what he's talking about is, is God the Holy Spirit. And if you look here, it says this, this advocate whom I will send to you comes from the Father. He is the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father and he's going to testify about me. Now this, this word advocate here is is important that we understand the role that the Holy Spirit is playing here. Often, as I said, it's translated comforter. The word means to encourage or to come alongside of someone and build them up. It was also used in the legal sense of the picture of a courtroom. And you can imagine, let's say that you were charged of a crime and you didn't commit it um, but, and you know that you're innocent, but you're, you're being taken into court and you have to figure out how you're going to defend yourself. Now, I know nothing about the legal system, right? Like, you know, like I, all I got is what I saw on Law and Order on TV and that's, you know, that's just the, the basic knowledge of uh, if it goes something like that, I'm still way out of my league even though, even though I've seen many of those episodes, right? Like there's this idea that you, you're in a situation where you don't know what you're doing. You don't know the proceedings. You don't completely understand what's going on. And so you go and get a lawyer and he comes and he, he, advocates, he advocates on your behalf. He is your advocate. And the idea is that when you've got that guy there, he provides some comfort and some knowledge and some wisdom that, that you don't have. And this is the, the picture of the Holy Spirit to us. He, he is an advocate who comes alongside of us and comforts us in scenarios where we need help. And so Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. I'm not going to be here, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Spirit to be an advocate for you. And He is going to testify about me. And as we read through the Scriptures, this is like the primary role of the Holy Spirit, is to point to Jesus. He directs our attention to the one who can save. And so Jesus says, Basically, this, this one that is coming from the Father, this, this, this spirit of truth, is going to constantly direct people's attention to me, to Jesus. He tells them a, a few verses earlier, a, few, a, a chapter earlier, he basically says, this advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things and he's going to remind you of everything that I've said to you, right? So you can imagine the disciples being a little anxious, being fearful that Jesus is going to be, to be out of the world. And he says, don't worry, the Holy Spirit is going to remind you what I've said, right? So this role of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. 
And as he does so, he bears witness to the truth. We're going to continue reading here in chapter 16, uh, starting with verse 8. It says this. This is John 16, starting with verse 8. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. About judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. All right. So this picture of the Holy Spirit revealing the truth of God. And he begins by talking about this concept of conviction. All right, it says when, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. Uh, again, older translations maybe use the word con- convict here. He will, he will convict the world in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. And so this idea of conviction has, has a, a couple of different nuances, right? The, the, the range of meaning here, it, it means to bring into the light, to expose, right? So this idea of something that maybe wasn't previously known and you bring it out into the light and then you can see it clearly and, and see what the truth is about that thing, right? It also carries uh, the sense of a recognition of wrongdoing, bringing people to the point of understanding that they've done something wrong. Now, I have a bunch of little kids at home and I'm trying to learn the art of conviction, right? Like, they... They many times will get into fights and arguments and, and, and do things that just aren't good. And it's like, hey, do you know like that's wrong? Do you understand why that's wrong? And they're like, no, I'm going to just punch her again. You know, like they, they, don't, they don't quite get that, right? But there's this sense of conviction. is this bringing an understanding that something is truly right and something is, is, is truly wrong. And it can also carry this, this word of this idea of conviction can also carry this idea of um, uh, showing someone to be guilty in that courtroom setting again, where there's this judgment and, and condemnation. So all these ideas are kind of wrapped up in what Jesus is talking about here in relation to these three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so he goes into a little more detail and he explains in verse 9 about uh, sin. And he says he's going to convict the world about sin because people do not believe in me. Now, as, as we've talked, and I'm going to continue to hammer because um, again and again, I run into this as I experience people in the world or uh, view things on the internet or read articles, this, this false idea of faith, which is, you know, believing something for which there is no evidence. And we're going to continue to just hammer away that that is not the biblical concept of faith. Rather, faith is, is a, a re- relationship of trust with God, that God has showed himself in some way. And even though we might not see the path forward right now, we trust the person of God to take care of us as we follow him and uh, do what he has called us to do, right? And so again, we've looked over the last few weeks at all the different things that, that point to God and give us good reason 
to trust him, right? So again, belief is not just about intellectual agreement with an idea, right? Like, that's not what God is after. God is after trust. And so he says, sin basically, uh, the Spirit is convicting the world about sin because people do not believe in me. Now, it's important that we understand that, that unbelief is at the root of sin. Sin is just a word that means wrongdoing. It means missing the mark, that we, we didn't do the right thing, right? And when it comes to our relationship with God and sinning against God, ultimately unbelief is at the root of it. It is a refusal to acknowledge that God is God, that he is Lord of all and that he's seated on the throne. And as his creation, we have a, a, a duty to do what, what he says. It's saying that I won't trust God and I'm going to do things my own way. I'm just, you know, it's like Adam and Eve in the garden. God said don't do this, but we don't believe him. We're going to do our own thing. And we've all experienced times where we're like, God, I don't like that you said that. I'm going to do my own thing, right? And we reap the consequences of that. But this is what Jesus is getting at. The Holy Spirit is going to convict of sin. This, this idea of unbelief, not trusting in God as God, right? He says he's going to convict the world, prove the world to be in the wrong about righteousness. And Jesus says, this is because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And so how does this relate to the idea of righteousness? Well, if we, we look at Jesus, he is the standard of righteousness. He came and he lived a perfect, sinless life. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law of God and was the perfect sacrifice so that our sin could be dealt with, right? And so Jesus says, I, the standard of righteousness, I'm going to be going to the Father, but I'm leaving the Holy Spirit to reveal righteousness to people, to make known what true righteousness is. And then finally, about judgment, he says, because the prince of this world now stand condemned. In other words, we're talking about forces of darkness here. We're talking about what the Bible calls ruler of the age. And there, there is a sense in which uh, Satan wars against God and, and seeks to, to reign over people. And so the, the prince of this world, he says, is now condemned. He has been judged, he's been found guilty, and there will be justice. It's important, again, as we talk about this idea of morality, that, that God is a good God, and that includes his sense of justice. And when we do what's wrong, justice must be done. And so the picture here is, Jesus says, you know, the one who, who kind of started it all in a sense, the one who, who is in rebellion against God, who is leading rebellion against God, he now stands condemned. So if the leader stands condemned, then everyone else who has been uh, in rebellion with God is standing condemned. That there is a judgment that's coming where the goodness of God will be done and he will deal with evil. Because if evil isn't dealt with, then there is no justice ultimately. And so as people, we cry out for justice often. And this is, um, we just, it, it bears witness that, that there is a good God and God ultimately says, whatever is wrong with the world, I'm going to set it right. And I'm going to deal with that evil. And so Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to um, convict people in regard to judgment, that there is justice coming. And he tells them, he says, I have, a, I have a lot more to say, but you can't handle it now. But the Spirit of truth, he's going to come and he's going to guide you into all truth. He, he's not going to speak on his own. He's going to speak only what he hears. He's going to 
He's going to speak what I tell him to speak, basically, right? And so this is the idea that the Spirit leads us into truth. And we all recognize that, that in, in many ways we need a guide, right? We're, you ever been, been to a city that, that you don't know? We've, we've traveled abroad a couple of, of times, and um, we, we decided to go out on our own one evening after the tours were done, and we wandered around the streets of Florence, Italy, and just wandered and wandered, and finally we found our hotel, right? Like, it was so much easier um, when we had a guide to show us all the different sites and, and enjoy, enjoy the place. And this is the idea, is like, the Holy Spirit is going to be our guide, and He's going to lead us into truth. He's going to tell us not about what He wants or about Himself. He's going to tell us about Jesus and what Jesus says, because it says that he will glorify me. Jesus says he will glorify, and he's going to make Jesus known to us. All right. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? We're going to continue this idea of God, the Holy Spirit, leading us into truth. In 1 Corinthians, especially in the beginning of chapter 2, we see Paul talking about the truth of the gospel and the cross of Jesus. And he says, to the world, the cross doesn't make sense. And what he tells them is like, for the, the Jews, they were looking for a, a Messiah, someone to come in power and overthrow the Romans. And so for them, the cross is just weakness. It doesn't make sense to them because they're looking for a powerful Savior. And for, for the Greeks, they're looking for wisdom. And to them, the cross is just foolishness. Like, how could God be crucified? This is just, just nonsense to them. But Paul says this is the wisdom of God because it was the way that God could save humanity. And so in verse 6, he says this of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God is destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. Pay attention. It says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For, God for, for who knows the person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we're talking about the Spirit leading us into truth and revealing truth to us. 
And here it describes uh, the, the truths or the realities of the cross and God's way of salvation. And in verse 10 he says, it's the Spirit who reveals these things to us. We come to understand these things by the Spirit. That the Spirit knows the mind of God. He makes this um, illustration of how we are as humans, right? Our spirits within us know what's going on within our mind, that immaterial part of us, right? We, we understand our mind because of the immaterial part of us. No, that is the immaterial part of us. We understand what's going on in our, in our thoughts, right? And in a similar way, the, the, spirit of, um, the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God and is able to reveal the mind of God to us. And so he says, we've received this spirit so that we can understand what God has freely given us. And so we go about, and as we're uh, telling people things, we're not using human wisdom, but rather we're explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. In other words, the spirit is the one who is enabling understanding. The spirit is the one who is enabling teaching about these spiritual realities. So we need the Holy Spirit and we don't understand these things without insight that is given by the Spirit. So the Spirit reveals truth to us. As we read in Scripture, we continue to see other things that the Spirit reveals. The Spirit reveals God's presence to us. And um, we would look at John, uh, 1 John 3.23 for this. It'll be up on the screen. You don't have to take the time to turn there. Um, John is talking about assurance and salvation and how do we know that we belong to God. And, and he describes Jesus' command. He says, this is, the command, this is his command, uh, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And he says, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. Okay? So we'd go back and, and look at verse 23 again, not because it's directly connected to what I'm about to say, but just as a reminder, remember we said, what is the work of God? As we started the series and we're describing faith, right? Uh, what is the work of God that we must do? And Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And John is just reiterating this, right? That our, that our primary relationship with God is a relationship of trust, a relationship of, of faith. And then that flows out in our lives as we love other people as well. And so he says, how do we know this? How do we know that we have God in us and that we are in God, that we are abiding and living in Christ? He says, we know it by the Spirit He, get, he gives us, right? So we are made aware of God's presence, God's abiding presence in us by the Spirit of God that he gives us. Now, it's important as we begin to think about this that we, we don't get confused, all right? Um, God has created us as whole persons, and we need to take into account every aspect of our lives and, and bring it to Jesus, right? So the ways that we think, the ways that we feel, the things that we want, the things that we do, they all matter to God. And, and sometimes when we think about being aware of God's presence, we can get a little off balance and equate our emotions and the ways that we feel with the presence of God. 
And it's important that we understand as we seek God, those things are not the same thing. There, there are many times when we experience the presence of God and it is a very emotional time. And that is not a bad thing. It's, I, I'm not saying that emotions in, in those scenarios are, aren't the proper response. My goodness, when we see the glories of God, we're just in awe of Him. When we understand His love and His sacrifice for us, we're, we're humbled in such a way. Like we see the people in Scripture, when they experience God, they're like, woe is me, like I'm undone. And we're humbled in such a way that maybe we're just weeping before God because of our sinfulness or, or whatever the case may be. Like very often encounters with God are accompanied by intense emotion. And that is fine but it's important that we understand that the emotion is not the encounter with God. Does that make sense? So we're not living day by day looking for a feeling of my emotions. Because I tell you what, my emotions are up and down and all over the place. If God's love for me or my sense of God's love for me was dependent upon how I felt in any given moment, God loves me, God hates It's like, you know, those like, you're picking the little flower petal. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me. Like, God's love for you is not dependent upon what you're feeling at the moment. Whether you feel lovable or whether you think he loves you or not, God's love for you is not dependent upon that. And God's presence is not dependent upon what you're feeling in the moment either. Sometimes when we come to understand God's presence, it's not accompanied by an intense emotion. It's just a, a quiet calm that God is here. And in our minds, we understand and believe the truth that God is present in this moment. So we shouldn't be seeking the highs of emotion. They're going to come, and they're not necessarily bad. We shouldn't avoid them either. But it's not about fee seeking a feeling emotion about God, but rather understanding that by the Spirit we are made aware of God's presence. All right. So far we've said that the Spirit's role is to point to Jesus. He testifies about Jesus. He reveals truth. He reveals to us the presence of God. And we're going to look at one other thing this morning, and that is this idea that, that God's Spirit reveals that we are God's children. And for that, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. You can turn there if you'd like. In Romans chapter 8, Paul is talking about life in the Spirit and fulfilling the desires of the Spirit rather than the desires of the sinful nature or the flesh, right? He's basically saying if you're trying to do it in your own power, it's not going to work. But if you uh, live by the power of the Spirit, you'll uh, be able to fulfill the desires of the Spirit. So it's not about your own willpower, but it's about God working in you. And so he's describing what it means to be led by the Spirit. In verse 14, he says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. All right, so again, he's talking about flesh versus spirit, and he says, if you're being led by the Spirit of God, uh, then, then you are a, a child of God. If, 
earlier he says, if you believe in Christ, then the, the Spirit lives in you. And, and so it's by the Spirit that we know that we are part of God's family. And he says this Spirit uh, doesn't make us slaves so that we live in fear, but rather uh, the Spirit uh, brings about our adoption to sonship. And there's this interesting contrast between slaves and, and sons, right? And so, think about a relationship of, of master and slave. It's kind of like all about getting a job done and, and doing a task. And if, if you don't, there's this threat of punishment, right? That's not the relationship that God wants to have with us. We, we don't become slaves to fear when we enter into God's family. Rather, we are treated as sons and daughters. We are treated as his children. And as his children, um, there, there is a relationship of, of love. Yes, there's healthy reverence and healthy fear and those types of things, but it's not fear-based, but rather it's about receiving the love of the Father. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps us understand this, that helps us understand our new position, our new relationship with God and his family. So this Spirit, he brings about our adoption to sonship. Like, Whatever your family background is, whether it's wonderful or, or, or horrible or somewhere in between, uh, God has a new life and a new family for you. That he brings you into his spiritual family and you learn to do things um, his way, ways that bring joy and peace and hope and life rather than the old way, which is ways of destruction. And so it says that by this Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, we cry out to God, Abba, Father. Now this word, this word Abba is, is Hebrew word for, for father, right? Aramaic word for, for father. It's what they would call um, their, their dad in their culture, right? Like anybody call their father, father? Anybody? Hey, father. I was training my kids to do that just for the fun of it every now and then. Like, Kate will come and say, hey, father. I'm like, hi, daughter. You know, like we're, but like, but in general, we don't say, hey, father, right? We say, hey, dad, or, or, or pa, or whatever other term of endearment that you use. And that's kind of what this, this word is like. It's, and, and it's interesting, too, because when you look at those, those syllables, they're usually easy syllables for little kids to repeat, right? Like, um, Lydia, we're trying to get her to say mama and dada, right? The easy syllables for them to repeat. And that's kind of the way it is with, with Abba, in a sense. It's like this, this a term of intimacy with God. And the Spirit helps us understand that we can have a close connection with our Father. And he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to us. As we come into this new understanding, believing in God's word in faith, that we are now part of God's family, that we are now God's children, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and says, yeah, yeah, that's right, you're God's child. And enables us to cry out to God in a relationship of intimacy and, and just uh, deep abiding love. Right? So we've so far discussed different ways that God makes himself known to us through his Holy Spirit. And we've said that the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. He makes Jesus known. He reveals truth. 
that he makes us aware of God's presence and that he helps us understand that we're truly God's children and cry out to him in that way. And so as we begin to think about the ways that that God reveals himself and how the the Spirit speaks to us and reveals these truths to us, naturally I begin to ask the question, well, well, how does that work? Like, what, what does that look like, right? Like, what does it mean that the Spirit is speaking or revealing or, or making known, right? Have you ever thought that question through or tried to think about how to explain it to someone else? Like, hey, how do you know God showed you this through the Holy Spirit? It's like, hmm, like, how do I, how do I put that into words? And so, as, as I try to think of a way to explain that, I think that passage in 1 Corinthians uh, may be gives us one of, one of the clearest pictures, all right? So I'll just bring it back up on the screen again so you can see it. It's, it says that the things are revealed by the Spirit, and it's that God gives us the Spirit so that we may understand what God has given us, right? What, what the Spirit does and the way He testifies and the, be, and the way that He bears witness is by giving us understanding, it is a, a, maybe we would describe it as a sense of knowing, a sense of deep conviction. We would use that, that, that word from earlier. A, a discernment, a, a, a way of insight into the reality of things that, that these truths are made known to us by the Holy Spirit. A, a number of months ago, we did a series on hearing God and, and how do we hear God because we're not talking about hearing the audible voice of God. We're not talking about when we say the, the Spirit reveals truth to us, we're not hearing some audible voice. That's not how we would describe this. Um, and so the, the author of that book, he, he tells a story about a conversation that he had with someone, and they were like, well, what does it mean that the Spirit reveals truth or God speaks or whatever? And the way he phrased it was, was like this. He says, it's kind of like a thought coming to your mind that aligns with the character of God. The Spirit bringing understanding that aligns with truth, that aligns with reality, that aligns with the character of God. And it's important that we understand as we think about the Spirit bearing witness to us that God has a witness to us in this book, right? He has made Himself known by the Holy Spirit. He has moved people of past ages to write truth overseen by Him that we have a standard of truth. And so as we wrestle with, as human beings, with how is it that I know that this is the Spirit revealing this to me, or how is it that I know that this is um, God speaking to me, we, we have a standard by which we can judge those things. And as I've said this many times, I had a, a theology professor that liked to say, the Holy Spirit is not a schizophrenic, right? He's not going to tell you one thing that contradicts something that he's already said in his word, right? And so as we wrestle with, well, how do I know what happens is as you begin to follow God and as you begin to get to know Him by reading His Word, you start to understand a little bit more about what God is like. And as you begin to examine yourself and really think about the way that you think and the way that you live, you begin to learn a little bit more about yourself. And in many times, the way that I've experienced this is when, when something is, is an insight or an understanding that's given by the Spirit, like, I know what it's like when I figure something out and I'm all proud of myself. You know, like, you ever been in a situation where you're trying to solve a problem? It's like, I figured it out, right? Like, um, the other week, I was trying to figure out how to solve a two-by-two two Rubik's Cube because I knew I learned how to solve a three-by-three by, three by 
watching videos and teaching it to my son and all that stuff. And I was trying to learn how to solve a two-by-two. And I made this connection between them. And I was like, oh, I get it. And now I can do it. Like, I figured it out. I'm proud of it. That's why I shared it this morning. That's all. Pray for me. Um, um, But like, you know what it's like when you kind of figure something out, right? You can kind of discern what your processes are. Um, Very often the Holy Spirit, he's he's not me. He's, He's different. And so there's this understanding or this insight this revelation that comes to mind that he brings to mind, and I recognize that's not from me. And that aligns with the character of God. And I'm aware, because he lives in me, I'm aware of his presence, and I have this deep sense of knowing or deep sense of conviction that the Spirit is saying this in this moment. So what the Scripture says, that he reveals it. God has put his Spirit in us so that we can have Spiritual understanding, spiritual realities in spirit-taught words, right? It's about Him making known truth to us and bearing witness with our spirit, these realities. So, as we think about all of this this morning, I would just leave you with this question. Are you open to the Spirit revealing Himself to you? And as you think about weighing these things and trying to discern, I would call you back to that moment when you were convicted of your sin. When you knew in that moment that, that Jesus was real, that God was real, that, that your sin um, was great and that you couldn't pay the price for it, but you had this understanding that, that Jesus had gone to the cross for you and died for you. You know what that sense was like, that deep knowing of, of my own sin and my calling out to Jesus for forgiveness. And, and, and the love of God that washes over you and the forgiveness that washes over you, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the scripture talks about the moment when we would call out, Jesus is Lord, right? And that, that deep sense of understanding that Jesus is Lord of my life and I'm going to put him first. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so as you are seeking him and trying to understand him in his word, and as you're out and about in the world and the Holy Spirit says to you, hey, that person over there, they need you to encourage them. Go talk to them. Or hey, that person over there, they're in, this, they're in need. Step up and do this. It, it's not more spiritual than you coming to Christ. It's not more spiritual than you understanding that Jesus is Lord. It is a very similar experience. And you begin, as you get to know God's Word, you begin to be able to discern, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to me and revealing truth in this situation. And so, as followers of God, we all want to be in a place where we are open to however God wants to reveal himself. He's not going to contradict his word. He's not going to give us something new that nobody's ever heard of. But, but he is going to move and speak. And as I talked about trying to help my kids understand right and wrong, I have to understand that I am not the Holy Spirit and sometimes I want to do his job. When I see people who are hurting, when I see people making decisions that are foolish, when I see people suffering, I want to come in and be like, hey, wake up. But that's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction. And I can bring truth and I can do it in a loving way, but I can't ultimately convict them. It is the Spirit who must reveal these things. So we want to let His do, we want to let Him do His job. We want to do our part, whatever God is calling us to do in any given situation, that we are open 
to the working of the Spirit of God and leading us in whichever way that He wants to go so that Jesus is glorified because that's what He desires. He wants to point us to Jesus. He wants to lead everyone else to Jesus so that we might experience the salvation and goodness that is in Jesus' name. So would you pray with me this morning as we close? Father God, I thank you for this opportunity uh, to dig deep and study your word this morning. (coughs) God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, that we would be a people that are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. God, you have revealed yourself to us in so many ways. And we thank you, God, that you give us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. As your followers, we have your Spirit at work in us as a a taste of eternity, a taste of, of the future that's ahead of us. And so, God, I pray that you would give each person in this place Uh, a deep awareness of your spirit that's not dependent upon circumstances, that's not dependent upon how we feel in the moment, but this, this, this deep sense that you are here. And God, I pray that you would speak by your spirit to glorify Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done for us in the many ways that you love us. God, I pray that we might all draw near to you as we cry out to you by the Spirit, Abba, Father. God, have your way in us as your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.